Welcome back to the Agora, a podcast brought to you by Macropolis. I'm Nick Malkoutsis. I'm joined by Phoebe Franista, our co-host and producer, for our latest attempt at analysing issues significant for Greece. Great to be back with you, Phoebe. Sorry, Nick. I can't hear you very well. There's this racket outside. I think there's there's money just just falling from the trees outside my house. (laughs) Right. That will be because on today's show, we'll be tackling the Recovery and Resilience Fund and what it means for Greece. Yes, that is a big pot of money put together by the EU in the form of grants and loans to help member states overcome the economic impact of the coronavirus crisis. Exactly. Listeners who caught the last episode of uh, our podcast will be aware that In the wake of the second lockdown, which uh, Greece is currently going through, the Greek economy is expected to contract by more than 10% this year. Uh, So a major stimulus of some kind is needed to ensure this recession is as brief as possible. And the order of the day is keeping businesses afloat and saving jobs. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the main priority. As uh, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen suggested in her comments on December the 11th, after EU leaders met in Brussels and agreed to move forward with the plan. The agreement will help us provide a strong economic response to the crisis while preserving the rule of law. Citizens and the EU economy need our support more than ever, and they need it now. So we need to finalize the adoption of the package with the help of the European Parliament as soon as possible. And member states also have to ensure a swift ratification. This is essential for us to power our economy as soon as possible. Of course, the launch of Next Generation... But the EU Recovery Fund, or RRF as it's also known, is about more than that. In what way? Well... We all know how difficult it is to get the EU to deviate from the rules, you know, the well-trodden path, Mm -hmm. and to adjust to circumstances. And the RRF is potentially a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for large sums of money to be invested in transformative projects. Please tell me that it won't be like when Greece received its bailout loans during the last economic crisis. I can't go through that again. (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. It's 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 meant to be much more than that. For starters, a large portion of the money available is in the form of grants rather than loans, so it doesn't have to be paid back. Beyond that, this isn't so much an exercise that's about cash for reforms, which is what we were used to during the Greek uh, bailouts um, in the previous decade. It's about diverting investment to worthwhile projects that will pay off in economic terms, but also environmentally, socially, and so on. 
Okay, so Greece is due to receive about 16 billion euros in grants and up to 12 billion euros in loans. That sounds like a decent sum of money. Yes, although uh, it will be spread over a few years, it is a lot of money for a country like Greece and an economy of of our size. The government thinks that these funds could help the economy grow by an extra two percentage points per year. And Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis was quick to point out after the recent EU summit we mentioned that Athens has already submitted its proposals for putting these funds to good use and, according to him, they have already received positive feedback. Ότι η Ελλάδα είναι μια από τις πρώτες χώρες που έχει ήδη υποβάλει το προσχέδιό της στην Ευρωπαϊκή Επιτροπή για το Ταμείο Ανάκαμψης. Έχει γίνει δεκτό με πολύ κολακευτικά σχόλια και πιστεύω ότι όλοι αντιλαμβανόμαστε το κατεπίγον. Nick, what are we going to do with all this cash? Well, hopefully that's what we're going to find out today. We have two guests that will help answer this question. With their help, we'll look at two key areas where Greece hopes the money will really make a difference. Digital transformation and green transition. And Greece recently sent the European Commission its proposals for just how the RRF funds will be used, as a prime minister just pointed out. And according to the outline that's been made public, just over 50% of the grants will be directed to these two areas, green and digital. Yes, that's where the government sees the most added value. Greece, as we know, is somewhat of a digital laggard, which is a burden on the economy, apart from making daily life for our citizens or business owners uh, very difficult. Also, it's on the front line of the climate crisis as far as Europe is concerned. So these issues need to be addressed. So on the first of these two issues, the digital transition, I caught up with Macropolis Features Editor, Yuria Naku, to discuss what plans Greece has and how easy, or not, it's going to be to move out of the digital emergency lane and into the fast lane. What did Yuria have to say? Let's have a listen. Hey, Georgia. Hey again, Phoebe. So you recently went deep in a piece you wrote for Macropolis into this digital transformation that's on its way. It's not the first one that has been heralded. The others just never arrived. Uh, Is there something different about this one? And do we have something tangible? Should I be excited about this billion dollar data center that Microsoft is building? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's easy to um, write it all off as hype, and that's partly because of the, the way it's presented, um, which is sort of textbook techno-optimism, I would call it. So, you know, the present government has made it its goal to make Greece digital by default, is their words, by 2023. Um, but there is some substance there, and there's, there's a couple of factors that uh, combine to sort of make us more hopeful, perhaps, this time. Um, one um, is, uh, you know, slightly unfortunate, but it's the pandemic. 
due to the lockdowns, there's been both more digital services available in Greece and more demand for digital services. So um, the government, for instance, took the opportunity during the first lockdown to launch its um, gov.gr portal, which offered something like 400 digital services, public sector services to citizens that previously required physical presence. Um, but you know, on the on the demand side, there's also been a massive uptake in online shopping, which had been a very small um, component of the Greek shopping experience previously. Um, the other factor is that, again, linked to the pandemic, um, the so-called Next Generation EU, the EU Recovery Fund, specifically calls for the allocation of funds to digital transition projects. Um, so there will be funds available there. There's also a big head of steam from the private sector um, through um, developments like 5G networks. And just to give you an idea of the kind of size and scope of projects we're talking about here, um, one of the, the Greek um, business papers, Nathaboriki, recently did a back of an envelope calculation and figured out that there's going to be something like 16 billion euros available to go into digital projects combining public and private sector funds in the next five years or so. And what kind of projects does, has Athens proposed to get this funding? And the projects they've put forward um, for, the, uh, for the EU funding are things like 5G corridors, so sort of cross-European 5G networks, um, things like making buildings um, fiber-optic ready, um, and then on the e-government side, there's a whole laundry list of projects that are sort of in line for this funding, digitizing the health service and patient records, digitizing justice, court records, digitizing the pension system, fully digitizing the tax system. So the, the government side of this is very big and very complex and very ambitious. Um, they're also going to direct some of the funding towards upskilling um, through all of the education um, levels and also encouraging businesses to go digital and, and train up their people in digital skills. And so that's the EU part. Now, the Digital Transformation Bible, which is, um, say the EU part is a subsection of the Digital Transformation Bible project. That is a total of over 400 projects that the government intends to promote over the next five years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, that's a lot. No, I'm just thinking of uh, all the archiving they'll have to do just with the court cases and pension funds. Yep, yeah, that's a, it's a big project. Mm -hmm. uh, how how much of a leap does Greece have to make to catch up with the rest of Europe? I mean, how far behind are we in general in terms of use of of digital tools? I mean, don't don't other countries still use fax machines or require multiple photocopies of everything? Mm -hmm. Um, so, just to give you the big picture, the European Commission every year compiles what they call the DESI Index, the Digital Economy and Society Index, which basically ranks European countries in terms of uh, internet connectivity, um, digital skills, e-government services, 
um, digital integration of businesses. And Greece, for a number of years, has been in the last position Europe-wide. Okay, so we're talking about a big leap. You know, there, there have been a whole number of studies that have pointed out just how far Greece is lagging in, in this respect. Um, the Bank of Greece produced its own digital readiness index and again found Greece not only behind EU countries, but behind pretty much all of its Balkan neighbours that are outside the EU. The um, um, World Economic Forum did a study on readiness for the fourth industrial revolution, which is things like artificial intelligence and um, digital production methods and so on, and grouped Greece in the laggard group yeah, among over 100 countries um, in that study globally. So yeah. to talk of a digital leap is not an overstatement. You know, there's, a, there's a massive but in all of these grand plans. Okay, so so tell me more about that. What are what are some of our biggest obstacles that 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 Greece has to overcome to make this this digital? Not, I guess we can't call it a digital transition. We need to call it a leap. That's right. Yeah. Um. So you know, starting from the simpler things and moving to the more complex, if you like. Um. Obviously, there needs to be investment in infrastructure. Um, the Bank of Greece study I referred to earlier made a rough calculation that up to 16 billion euros needed to be spent on infrastructure in Greece to just put the country on a par with Slovenia. Okay. Um, on that part, though, because there is such a great deal of interest from the private sector in things like 5G networks, there seems to be a degree of momentum there already. So, you know, there's, there's a long way to go, but things are moving fast already. And, you know, I think we can have a degree of optimism there. Um, on the e-government side, um, you'll be glad to hear that the public, the public sector finally phased out facts as, <laughs> I kid you not. But as, as the main means of communication within the public sector, the fax has been officially abolished, I think, within the last month or so. And again, wow. the, there is a degree of momentum there in um, not just sort of digitizing parts of government and public services, but also integrating them to create what will hopefully be a simpler system to the user. Um, it's not a simple task, but again, you can see there's momentum there and the public sector generally has tended to invest in that, even though it, you know the end result is not always immediately visible. The more challenging parts are to do with the use of digital technologies in the private sector and really crucially, the skills, the Bank of Greece found, for instance, when it did its survey that one in three Greek businesses don't use any digital technology whatsoever. And that's, you know, it makes sense because something like 99% of the Greek private sector is small and medium businesses, family run, kind of very old school um, businesses. You know, um, 
one in four businesses that has the, uses the digital technology just has a, a website. Only 9% of SMEs have an e-shop compared to 18% um, across the EU. So, you know, there isn't a great deal of digital integration there. Which brings us to the, um, to the major uh, challenge, in my view, which is um, the penetration of digital skills, both in the general public, you know, in the users of services, and in the uh, in the experts, so the the highly skilled uh, tech workers that supposedly this would all rely on. There was a European Commission report the other day that found that one in four Greek women hadn't been online at all during 2019. So we're talking about a long way to get the general public to be to act digital by default, and then then you come to the pool of talent available in Greece to run a digital economy. Um, I think there is a great uh, popular myth in Greece that you know the country's awash with highly skilled tech graduates. And I think that's partly based on a few very high-profile success stories. So you, you read, you know, something like the three top um, R&D engineers in Tesla uh, graduates of Greek universities. Fantastic, but you can't really extrapolate that across the population at large. Uh, in fact, Greece produces fewer ICT graduates than most European countries. Um, the companies in the information technology sector here really struggle to fill highly skilled positions. Like two thirds of companies when they were surveyed by an employers association found that they couldn't fill their highly skilled positions and that there's a lot of competition for really talented, experienced individuals. So this, this idea that um, Greece is full of developers who will work for low wages is, um, I think, is a bit of a misapprehension. Wishful thinking. Mm, perhaps, yeah. Let me ask something else. Recently, in an effort to attract back the educated expats, I guess like the, the Tesla people, um, and also to lure digital nomads over to Greece to make their tax base Greece, the government announced this offer of 50% off of their taxes for several years. And you know, Georgia, I've been here paying through the nose since 2011. So this proposal gives me feelings, <laughs> not good ones. <laughs> But apart from, but, you know, leave, set aside that, uh, how successful do you think that this offer is going to be? Is it, is it, will, be te will it be tempting for highly educated people to come here and, and put down tax roots? Um, yes, I mean, this is all part of the, the present government's efforts, a highly laudable effort, to reverse the brain drain of the last few years. So, you know, you, you were one of the rare people that, came into Greece um, during the crisis, roughly 200,000 people left, and a lot of them were, you know, what, what skill is, you know, um, highly skilled scientists and technologists. Um, so, you know, the, the government has stated its commitment to attract some of them back, and I think this is one of, sort of part of a piecemeal approach to do that, I guess. And, you know, attracting digital nomads from other countries 
again, would be a great thing, but I think it's going to take more than tax incentives to do that. Um, for example, um, when surveys have been carried out talking to people who left Greece in the last 10 years, they tend to find that the elements they found lacking in Greece and the reasons why they're reluctant to return are um, meritocracy, mm -hmm. um, a positive business culture, including progression opportunities. And again, you can see that when you look at the Greek business landscape, it's not only sort of um, not very digital, but it's also a bit sclerotic in the terms in terms of how how many opportunities it offers people. So all these there's all these sort of soft elements of attracting people to the country that you know need more than a fifty percent tax cut to sort out. And I think you know, as you probably know, establishing yourself here is um, you know it's hardly plug and play. <laughs> You know the everyday things of dealing with, um, you know, daily bureaucracy, finding good schools, all of those things that are all part and parcel of, you know, persuading someone to relocate. And and I guess you know the other thing I would add to that is okay, we may attract some people, some Greeks back. We may attract some digital nomads that have perhaps never thought of coming to Greece before. But you know, like the idea of uh, I don't know, writing code with a sea view. Um, all of that does not a digital sector make, and it certainly doesn't make the digital revolution. Yeah, and, and it will it will take time. I think I think that maybe you know if there's some success in the beginning, that maybe more people will follow. But we do, and we don't. You know, time is something that we don't really have. You know, we waited we waited quite a while already. was Phoebe speaking to Yeria Naku, the features editor of Macropolis, about Greece's plans to move up the gears on the digital superhighway. Gears? Well, it's more like warp speed nine that is needed. Ah, but... spoken like a true Star Trek fan there. <laughs> okay, all right. That's the full extent of my Star Trek knowledge, Phoebe. So let's move on to the green transition. Okay. What have you got? Well, I spoke to Olivier Vardakoulias. He's an environmental and macroeconomist currently working for WWF Greece. His organization has been very active in trying to provide constructive feedback in terms of the proposals the government, the Greek government, sent to Brussels, but also the reform plan put together by a panel of economists appointed by the government and led by Nobel Prize winner, Sir Christopher Pisaridis. It's a kind of blueprint for the projects the government has identified for funding from the EU package. So you should have an informed take on what Greece has proposed in terms of the green transition, which is set to absorb more than 6 billion euros in grants. That's about 40% of the total, am I right? Exactly. I started off by asking him to take a step back and put his economist hat on to tell us what kind of impact he expects 
the RRF funds to have on the Greek economy. Thank you very much for joining us on the Agora podcast. Um, more than a third of grants available to Greece, that's 6.2 billion euros in total, are destined for green interventions. Before we assess the specifics of the government's proposal, as an economist, and of course bearing in mind that uh, all we've seen publicly is the outline of uh, the proposals from the Greek government, how much of a difference do you expect this money, along with, of course, the rest of the recovery fund allocation, to make to the Greek economy? Hi, Nick. Good morning. I'm uh, happy to be here. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Um, I think that these, uh, these funds will make a quite sizable uh, difference uh, in the sense of you know, providing a stimulus to the economy. Uh, however, we need to look at the impacts of that uh, both in the short term and the long term, or medium to long term. Um, in the short term, uh, of course, you know, the, the critical uh, aspect uh, is uh, essentially around economic multipliers and the amount of new jobs you can create through these investments. And the fact that a sizable component um, of uh, RRF funds are going to be targeting uh, green investments in particular is very positive on that count because uh, what we've seen and you know we've looked in quite a bit of detail in WWF um, <clears throat> uh, things like the labor and employment intensity of uh, you know green investments uh, is essentially that uh, these have a much higher employment footprint when you look at compare them on par with other investments. So if you look at, you know, per million invest of investment, how much jobs you can actually create, uh, green investments perform particularly well. Uh, so in the short term, I would say, you know, it will definitely make a difference, particularly after, you know, the acute crisis we've been experiencing, not only now due to the, to, to, to the COVID pandemic, but also uh, after 2010. Now, in the long term, uh, we need to be thinking about different elements, if you want. Um, and I think that uh, one aspect is definitely, you know, how Greece can specialize in uh, green sectors, which are growing particularly fast at the moment, globally. Uh, so how can it harness, if you want, the environmental transition to, to specialize further in those sectors that it can then potentially utilize for exports or for um, providing know-how beyond Greece. Uh, but we also need to look, of course, at uh, the productive tissue of Greece, because, you know, as any economist would tell you, um, you know, multipliers are highly dependent, like domestic multipliers are highly dependent on, on the productive tissue of a country. So Greece is a very shallow industrial tissue. So, you know, one risk is that 
you may provide additional public investment, which obviously has a positive effect on growth and employment and so on, but actually you may see a lot of that money leaking towards export, uh, imports, sorry, particularly of capital goods and so on, that are necessary um, to actually undertake these investments. Uh, and there, you know, we're getting to a more structural conversation around the, the reforms that need to happen um, to further develop the productive tissue. So I think there are many levels of, uh, in a nutshell, there are many levels that we need to look at to assess the economic impact. Right. Very interesting. Um, now, looking at the government's green proposals, which you referred to, uh, let's have a look at a little more detail. They're divided into these three catchy categories, power up, renovate, and recharge and refuel. The last one is one category, uh, in case people think I said, uh, I, I, I referred to four categories there. Each one has a long list of uh, potential projects that uh, uh, the, the Greek government would like to um, invest in. But could you identify for us one or two that you think might be game changers, or at least ones that you welcome as a major step forward? Um, I think all of them are important in their own way. So the first one is mostly around, uh, you know, electricity transmission networks investment, smart metering investments into households, uh, and uh, you know the installation of uh, storage facilities. So you know, renewables combined with uh, storage, essentially. Uh, the second one is more about uh, investments in uh, the renovation of the building stock to enhance, you know, energy efficiency. The third one is around uh, sustainable transport and essentially, um, particularly, you know, investments in uh, charging points for electric vehicles. And finally, the fourth one, is basically more around biodiversity, climate adaptation, and protected areas. Um, now, in terms of, uh, I mean, they're obviously all important. I would definitely highlight uh, energy upgrades um, with a caveat that, uh, of course, the National Energy and Climate Plan was already factoring in uh, the renovation of buildings to the tune of around 60,000 buildings per year to 2030. So I don't know what's the additionality because we don't have the detail. Additionality in the sense of providing, if you want, uh, funds for hitting a more ambitious target or if we're just fulfilling the existing target with this money. Okay. But it's certainly highly important. Um, and in essence, I would say that you know, the existing targets of 2030 are not super ambitious in the sense that, you know, the, the investments that have been planned essentially will bring, um, you know, energy consumption in 2030 uh, to the levels of 2018. Uh, so as you can understand, it's not um, about reducing energy consumption. Uh, it's reducing it compared to baseline. And uh, it is also a very critical aspect in terms of jobs, because we know that uh, this investment in particular has a very high labor intensity and quite sizable economic multipliers, both in the short term and the medium term. In her comments after the end of the European Council on Friday, where EU leaders agreed to sizable emissions reduction targets for this decade, Commission President Ursula von der Leyen link this to achieving growth, albeit 
sustainable growth. Of course, the launch of Next Generation EU is also a key component of our climate ambition. Now that we have secured the funding, we have the means for our actions. And that is why I'm delighted that together with the German presidency, we were able today to reach an agreement on the proposal for a new EU climate target. We will reduce emissions by at least 55% by 2030. And today's agreement puts us on a clear path towards climate neutrality in 2050. It gives certainty to investors, to businesses, to public authorities and to citizens. It future proves our union. All EU countries should benefit from the transition with economic growth, a cleaner environment and healthier citizens. The European Green Deal will be our growth strategy. Now, Olivier, uh, Greece has set itself a target of facing out lignite completely by 2028, the use of lignite for uh, energy production. Will the proposal sent to Brussels as part of the uh, RRF plan help us get there? And is the plan ambitious enough, in your view, in terms of phasing out the use of other fossil fuels apart from lignite? So, to your first question, um, um, there is already a financial mechanism that has been set up, a separate financial mechanism, which is called the Just Transition Mechanism, uh, that will already provide some funds uh, to finance investments um, in lignite regions, so in regions that are facing uh, the phasing out uh, of coal production. Uh, of course, these, these amounts are nowhere near uh, required, the required level of investment. So it's about 750 million euros uh, to finance the transition of these regions, the just transition, as we say. And therefore, uh, definitely uh, through the RRF, Greece can leverage additional funds, essentially, you know, to complement uh, the just transition mechanism funds, and as far as we know, because you know the, the plan that has been publicly uh, presented at the moment is quite general, so it doesn't get into specific. Um, but from uh, various uh, declarations of uh, you know the environment minister, Mr. Hadzidakis, we know that he is planning to leverage part of the RRF. Uh, to fund particularly restoration projects in old coal mines. And this, uh, this is particularly important for these regions because these investments can provide, if you want, uh, transitional employment. Uh, so as you know, coal plants are shutting down and the effects of new investments um, are coming in, you know, there is a kind of transition gap. Uh, and this transition gap in terms of employment can be fulfilled by through through restoration investments. Um, so I think this is a, a very positive move. Now, in terms of fossil fuels more widely, uh, and that's not directly related to the RRF, but it could be if uh, the government decides to fund more fossil fuels through the RRF, which would be a mistake in my opinion, but it could happen. Um, 
there are two problems right now with um, you know the, the national energy and climate plan. The first one is that uh, essentially you know we're planning to invest a quite sizable amount of money, not necessarily through the RRF, but uh, more widely uh, into new gas distribution infrastructure and new gas power plants. Uh, and this is a problem because um, you know we're coming very late into this game, and essentially. You know, these plants may face the same problems that lignite production is facing now uh, in a decade's time. Um, and the second aspect is, of course, uh, you know, plants to extract oil and gas across the Greek seas and, you know, part of uh, Western Greece on the mainland, uh, which faces the exact same problem. Uh, essentially, you know, as the world accelerates its decarbonization and Europe is accelerating its decarbonization, uh, it's very clear that these are extremely risky investments, both from an environmental and an economic point of view. So I would say these are the two major pitfalls uh, of the current plans. We hope that none of those are financed through the RRF, but we don't have right now the necessary information to assess whether, you know, they're included or excluded from. Okay, so that's something to keep an eye on for the future. The Greek government is also lining up a reform of urban planning. And uh, goodness knows we, we need that. Anyone living in Athens or uh, other uh, major cities and even towns around Greece uh, can, can see the need for it. Um, this this uh, uh, reform also has implications for land use across much of the country. Uh, can you give us an idea of why this is important in the green con- Greek context? And do you see potential pitfalls there as well? So the idea here is that uh, the government is going to use RRF funds to essentially fund local spatial plans uh, at the municipal level. So municipalities are responsible for designing their local spatial plans and delimitating very clearly uh, which which of their areas essentially are, can be dedicated to what kind of activities. And this is a very welcome and important move, uh, despite the fact that the national legislation is quite problematic. Uh, it is, however, some, you know, it's, it, it's an improvement, let's say, compared to the, to the current status quo. So for listeners who don't know, um, Greece's uh, land use plan at the moment is essentially extremely peculiar compared to other European countries because you're essentially allowed to build practically not anywhere, but uh, in most of the Greek territory outside uh, some delimited regions. And this is a problem because essentially you see houses, industries sprawling across the territory without any planning. Uh, and this is a, something legal, it's not illegal. And, you know, the, the, the basic idea here is that you're starting to curtail uh, this uh, phenomenon uh, by trying to essentially have a more organized um, spatial uh, plan across the territory. And this is where this reform fits in. I think it's extremely important, both for economic and environmental reasons, <laughs> because as you can understand, uh, imagine that you know industries can essentially locate outside the city plan uh, with without any infrastructure to manage their waste, their wastewater, uh, and so on, with usually dramatic environmental consequences. But I would also say that this has strong economic consequences as well, 
uh, and for what refers to industry specifically, the fact that you know you can essentially go anywhere prevents having clustering effects um, from an economic point of view, which could drive efficiencies and, and a more competitive industrial sector. Uh, the same holds for you know, a whole set of other activities that are allowed to essentially uh, be present practically anywhere throughout the territory. Sure. Okay. So this is one thing that w- w- we think it's it's definitely a good thing that it's in there. To, to finish off, Olivier, if, if if we could, you know, if the prime minister came to you and said, Olivier, it's your lucky day, uh, tell us one thing that we should have in there that we don't or there is not enough of, uh, what would you pick? What, what do you think perhaps Greece's proposals need uh, more of? I think there are there are at least uh, a couple of things that I would point. The first one concerns. Okay, go on. I'll, I'll give you a couple then. Okay, you know the, the prime minister is feeling ge- generous. I'll give you two. <laughs> exactly. So the the first thing I would point is that the the, the transport strategy uh, regarding you know the decarbonization of the transport system right now is very much based on a on a quite simplistic vision, in my opinion, whereby. Uh, you know, will essentially just replace, um, you know, our cars with electric cars. And if you look at the proposals they've sent to the European Commission, it's all about charging stations for electric vehicles and so on. There is nothing on public transport. And I think that uh, the energy transition requires us to reduce and to minimize uh, private passenger miles with public passenger miles to actually... Uh, have a positive um, effect on, you know, um, uh, on on emissions and so on. So I think that this is a particular angle, and we're, you know, we're not seeing anything, for example, on railways, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so it's all a very much simplistic vision, and I would put an emphasis on on public transport infrastructure and clean public transport infrastructure. Um, and the the second thing is more around biodiversity. So I think there are quite a few positive directions in the text, but there are many things missing. Uh, for example, there isn't any mention of the fact that at the moment, uh, marine protected areas are essentially paper parks. And um, I don't see anything uh, you know, in this plan essentially trying to address that fact and make them um, you know, effectively protected and invest in the necessary infrastructure uh, to deliver that. Um, and the same holds for a number of other ecosystems um, and potentially other sectors that can contribute um, to a sustainable economy, not only the marine environment, but also on the terrestrial part. So I would essentially put emphasis on that. Um, there are many other things um, that I think are quite important, but uh, yeah, I'll stop here. All right. Those are two very important things. And and as a keen user of public transport, uh, I I, uh, firmly second your uh, opinion there. Olivier, thank you very much for giving us uh, some of your uh, insight into Greece's um, recovery fund uh, proposals. As we mentioned at the top of the discussion, we only have, you know, a very general outline to go on. That's all that's been made public so far. So we wait to see the more detailed proposals that have uh, been sent from Athens to Brussels. Thank you very much for joining us on the Agora podcast, Olivier. Thank you, Nick. Glad to be here.
That was Olivier Vardakoulias, an economist at WWF Greece, speaking to Nick about the green transition plans. It was an interesting chat, and like the gist of your discussion with Yuri uh, earlier, it's clear that there is a lot of potential for great progress to be made in Greece on the digital and environmental fronts. But uh, there are also a lot of obstacles, and it's going to need careful, determined management to get the most out of this opportunity that's been afforded us, essentially, by this terrible pandemic. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just going to go outside now and, and, and go get some more of that money that's falling from the trees. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll see you later. <laughs> big, big, a big container, a big container, Phoebe. Before you go, as we draw to the end of another uh, Agora podcast, this is your regular reminder that you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. The Agora, of course, is brought to you by Macropolis, you can find out more about us at www.macropolis.gr. And join us for the next episode in a few days when we'll be taking a closer look at the rise and fall of the Greek neo-Nazi Golden Dawn Party, whose leadership was convicted and jailed, apart from one guy, in October in a landmark trial. It's definitely one you shouldn't miss. Until then... Thanks to Yerier and Olivier for answering our questions about the Recovery Fund and what it could mean for Greece. See you soon. Bye-bye.